Welcome to episode number 22 of The Heart of Teaching, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Nathan Rivers, and this episode is entitled Alex Story, 1992-2021. to If you are following us on Instagram, please check out Alex's picture. It will give you some context to a face and ultimately to the story. The Heart of Teaching proudly supports Mom Stop the Harm. Thank you once again for listening, and please take care. It's been a long day without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again, when I see you again. Welcome back to The Heart of Teaching. I'm Dave Ruzicki with my friend and my producer, Nathan Rivers, and thank you for joining us today. Last episode, we talked with Leslie McBain, who helped co-found Moms Stop the Harm. Now, that's a nonprofit organization set up to support families and individuals who have either lost a loved one or are currently struggling with substance use. If you haven't listened to our, our last episode dealing with drug use, you may want to check that out before you listen to this episode. Today, I'm going to be having a conversation with Annie Story, whose son Alex tragically died of substance use this past January of 2021. Alex also played football for me, and he was one of my captains. If you have that opportunity, please check out our Instagram site, and there's two very cool pictures of Alex, and I know he'd be grateful, and he'd also be humbled. The truth is, I wish that this conversation was not happening, and it's not right. I shouldn't be talking with a mother, one of my former players, after the death of her son. I remember Annie at every game. She said she loved to watch Alex play, and Alex was her only son. And I don't think there was a game between grade 8 to 10 that she didn't attend. We, we didn't get a ton of parents out, but one thing I knew for sure was that Alex's mom would be there to cheer us on, win or lose, rain or shine. And she loved her son. I think it's important to talk about who Alex was his dreams, his goals, and ultimately his challenges. We need to personalize those that have died because of drug use. They're not just a statistic or a name. Behind every picture is a story. And if we knew more about their lives, we, we might have more compassion and empathy and perhaps be less apathetic. Now, as a coach, Alex was probably one of the most gifted athletes I'd ever worked with and he never wanted to disappoint me. I remember one game in particular, and uh, it was against Holy Cross, and we needed to win this game in order to get into the playoffs. And we were playing at their school, and it was basically a mud bowl. And the rain and the sleet was coming down sideways, and it was probably about three degrees outside. And I'm telling you, I think the kids were starting to suffer from hypothermia. At halftime, we were down by three points, and you could hear the teeth chattering in the change room. And I, I looked at one of my assistants, and I said, I'm not sure what we're going to do in the second half. Well, Alex must have heard me. And he came up, and he said, Mr. R, he goes, if you give me that football on offense, each and every down, he goes, I'm going to make a difference. He says, I'm going to help you win this game. And I kind of smiled at him, and I said, you know what, Alex? I said, that just might be the game plan. Well, when the second half rolled around, my assistant coach said to me, he goes, so what do you want to do? And I said, you know what? Give Alex the football. I said, I think he's driven. 
And sure enough, I'm telling you, we gave that ball to Alex, and at any one time, there's probably about three or four players trying to tackle him. They knew what we were going to do, but they still couldn't stop him. He played as if he was possessed. And on defense, he was running sideline to sideline, making incredible tackles. As a result of his play, he motivated everyone else to pick up their game. And you know what? We won that game. And that was a direct result of what Alex did on that field. When we were all getting back on the bus, you could just see the kids shivering. And, and uh, I was sitting with one of my assistant coaches again. And Alex uh, looks at me and he goes, Mr. R, he said, are you proud of me? And I remember saying to him, Alex, you have no idea how proud I am. And he sat directly behind me and I turned around and I could see him smiling. He had this incredible smile. He was just beaming and he said, cool. Well, Alex left the school after that season and he left for a variety of reasons. And as time went on, we drifted apart. The next time I actually saw Alex was when his image was flashed across the television. And uh, his mom was talking about the death of her son due to drug use. I wish we could have kept in touch. The truth is I, I didn't and I wasn't aware of, of his circumstances. Maybe I should have reached out to find him. Maybe I could have done something, but I didn't. And I'll regret that from this day moving forward. Let me give you some uh, tragic statistics. Canada started uh, recording overdose deaths as a result of drug use in 2016. Since that time, British Columbia, Ontario, and Alberta have the most deaths related to drug use. In Canada, between January of 2016 and June of 2020, close to 18,000 people have died as a result of substance use. Now, BC leads the way with 33% of uh, the nation's total. That means roughly 6,000 people have died in the last five years. Of those 18,000 people, 77% are males between the ages of 20 and 49. Now, 97% of those deaths are accidental and they're due to poisoning or overdose. And of the poisoning, 80% of all of those deaths are directly related to fentanyl. So what is fentanyl? It's actually a synthetic opioid, which is similar to morphine, but it's anywhere from 50 to 100 times more powerful. And it's actually used to treat severe pain. And it's often used with people or for people in the last stages of their lives because of disease, where there's basically no hope for them. Now, in BC in 2020, 1,760 people have died, and that's more than ever before. That's actually a 74% increase since 2019. Now, with the start of 2021, we continue to shatter records related to drug use and death. In January alone, we have 165 deaths, and that means roughly five people per day are dying. And on the day that Alex passed, he was one of five that died. It's estimated that, it's estimated that if that number continues, we'll lose close to 2,000 people this year in British Columbia due to substance use. We need to act on this. We need to find some solutions. And I think by talking and having conversations like we are today and acknowledging this crisis, we may be able to make a difference and start advocating for change. Annie, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, having the strength to, to talk about Alex. Tell me about Alex and tell me about his passions. Well, 
know, Alex was a very passionate kid. He was very kind and very loyal, fiercely loyal, actually. He liked to brag that his name, Alexander, means defender of men. And he really was that all the way through his life growing up. He was always the kid that would, you know, stand up to the bullies when they were giving another kid a hard time. He was very, very protective about his family and very loyal. Um, you know, he had lots of, lots of passions that we were kind of surprised by. We actually discovered how artistic he was. And he loved to draw, and he loved to music. He loved to play music. He certainly loved to have it blaring at any opportunity, which drove me crazy. <laughs> what what kind of when you say music? What, what was he into? What kind of what kind of music did he like? You know, it's, it's modern stuff that I'm not all that familiar with because I'm more of a '70s kind of music girl. But there's a lot of rap, okay, like hip hop, that kind of stuff. But you know what? I actually have a video of him. Coming along to Pink Floyd, so he oh. actually did share some of the yeah. same music taste. Yeah, that had to be. He's actually writing lyrics as well. Really? Yeah, and he was very artistic in his drawing. Um, you haven't seen him recently, but he was covered almost head to toe in tattoos, and he felt like his body was a canvas, and, and all of the tattoos had different spiritual meanings to him. He had one with a monkey king. One is Guan uh, Yu, I think some sort of a Chinese military general, he had a Chinese dragon and a koi fish. And he actually talked about becoming a tattoo artist as well. That's That was one of the things that he thought he'd be very good at. Wow. He actually was a pretty good artist in terms of drawing as well. Um, he, he, on Christmas Day, actually, he was here for dinner and we were talking about writing. And so he decided he was going to write a story of his life to make into a movie. And so we sat down at the on the couch and I gave him a booklet or a, uh, a notepad and he started writing. And so apparently he got several pages in by the time that he passed away on January 18th. But he was thinking about going into the movie industry and writing a script. And you know what? It's funny. I thought you would start off with just, you know, him being such a phenomenal athlete because when I did my monologue, I talked about he was probably one of the best running backs I'd ever coached at that, at that age level. I mean, he was, he was a good athlete. Yes, and, he, and that carried, he carried that with him all the way through as well. So, I mean, he stopped playing football, but he was, and that was his first love, obviously, but he was at the gym constantly working out. He loved to snowboard. So, yeah, he was very athletic, and he was all about his body and taking vitamins, and he was actually pretty pretty healthy, generally speaking. So, I've got to, I'm going to interject here. We we talked off mic, but I think it's it's a good discussion because it sort of, embodies who he is and that sense of loyalty and and i uh I, when soon you said he was working out we uh oh it would have been well years ago it was 14 years since i've coached him but i was coming off the football field and uh i looked probably more tired than i usually do and he said to me he goes mr are you all right and i said yeah and he goes you look a bit beaten i said i was i was upstairs earlier i said i was, I was doing a bunch of chins chin-ups and dips he goes oh he goes how many did you do so I told him, I said, I actually remember the number. I go, uh, I said, about 23. He goes, wow. And uh, he said, he goes, I bet I can do more. And I kind of looked at him and I go, are you calling me out? And he goes, no, I just said I could do more. I said, you want to have a bet? He goes, yeah, okay. I said, okay, let's go upstairs. I said, Let, let's see. Now, my ego was uh, passing checks that my uh, body probably couldn't cash, I think. So I actually, he's 15 years old, right? So we, we go upstairs, nobody else. We didn't want to call anybody else. It wasn't bragging rights. And I said, so what do you want to bet? I said, how about lunch? I said, that's about five bucks. He looks and he goes, don't want to take your money. <laughs> I go, okay. So I knock off 23. 
And so for an old man is in my 50s, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good here. And then Alex gets up and he goes and does 24, probably could have done more, hops down and he goes, told you. And I just look, <laughs> I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like, hey, I told you. And he goes, and I said, okay, I owe you five bucks. He goes, Mr. R. He goes, I told you. He goes, I don't want to take your money. And I just started smiling. And did you know, no one else in the football team knew about that. Like he didn't go and start bragging to his friends. He just kind of smiled and he goes, good fun. And uh, I have this, I got this $5 bill in my hand. I go, you sure you don't want this? He goes, you don't get paid for doing this. He goes, you probably need it. <laughs> he smiled and off he went. And that was, you know what? That was kind of who he was, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's actually, he was pretty humble. He was he's very kind and very humble. And now I can't even think of a time when I would hear him bragging or yeah, that, that is a, a very much the embodiment of him. Yeah, he was, uh, he he certainly had, uh, he had that great smile, right? Like, yeah. we, right? yes, yes. And when you'd sit, when you comment, when you say, and you give him a compliment, he wouldn't say, he just, he'd sort of like beam, like he'd sit back and he'd just start to smile. Yeah. And, and yeah. Well, you know, Things that people have said about him since he passed away, I think the number one thing people have said is how kind he was. And and for as much as he was a tank, and you saw him play football, and he could take anybody out when he tackled them. I still have that picture, by the way, of the great eight game where he's carrying about six guys on his back, scoring the winning touchdown. But he was very, very gentle and very kind. And that's the, the big message that I'm getting from everybody. And also very respectful. I remember, um, I don't know, remember Chris Delaney, but Chris always said about Alex, he said, you know, he looks you in the eye and he shakes your hand and he's the only kid that showed up for Kevin Chin's memorial service wearing a suit and he insisted on wearing a suit and just overall just a really good gentle soul, a very kind human. Yeah. Daryl Hall, who coached him in grade eight, it was, uh, the game was tied. It went into overtime for the grade eight championship. And uh, Daryl even says that uh, the uh, the team, the opposition, were much better than, than they were. And our team had no business winning if it wasn't for Alex. And he said in front of all the kids, he goes, I'm going to give Alex the ball. He says, and he's going to win the game for, uh, for, for us. And be darned if he didn't do that, right? Like he, yeah. And that's that picture that you've got, right? Of him just dragging all these. He was not going to be denied. They won the game. And they won the championship. Yeah, yeah, very, very... It was the same year he was playing on... I don't know if you were aware of he was actually playing on two teams. So he played for you guys, but he also played for Coquitlam football. And, and so he would you know, finish practicing with you guys, and then we'd haul off to Coquitlam and he'd go practice for them as well. And they won the championships as well. And so he... Uh, I've got pictures of him holding the trophy. And it was very, he was playing... I think he was um, uh, linebacker, the middle linebacker. Yes. He was the, 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 yeah, so he played, you know tailback and then linebacker and he was like the best at both positions so yeah that doesn't surprise me no he played both ways for us as well he played both ways when he left the school and um you know sometimes when when some of the students will leave the school he left in grade 10 they uh they just leave and it's a quiet thing but he uh he searched me out like I, i i'll be honest with you i wasn't aware that he was leaving at the time and i was talked to by the administration at that point and uh, I was kind of like, what? And I, I obviously I was saddened by the fact that he was going to be leaving the school. But he came and had a conversation with me. He said he wasn't going to leave the school without talking to me. 
And we sat down, had a conversation. He shook my hand. I wished him the best. And um, he had come back a couple times to visit. And I came down, I saw him and I ran out and asked him how he was doing. And then, um, yeah, he, we, we drifted apart. So. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough, a tough period of his life. Um, we had him tested because he was struggling in school. So we had him tested and he had a couple of learning disabilities. And at the time, STM didn't have, um, you know, he was going to be in math essentials. He was going to be one of maybe two kids. And right. It was really hard on him. So we we did a bit looking around and sent him to New West so we could still play football. And they had a lot of resources. So um, that went really well for a while. But then he had a, an injury that kind of caused him to back off football. A right. Bit. And as a result of that, he wasn't being played as much. And it really, really took a hit on his self-esteem. And at that point, he just quit. He quit school and he quit uh, quit high school and football as well. Was that when you started? Was that when you started noticing some challenges for him at that point when football ended? Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he he had a few run-ins with the police and he was you know making some questionable decisions, but he was actually pulling himself out of that. He was actually doing pretty well. And then um, he had a tragic loss in 2011 where his best friend was murdered. He was working two jobs when that happened and, you know, was trying to get on his life and that just really kicked the legs out from under him. And, uh, you know, he was involved with, with working with the police to try to get these guys convicted if they were charged with first-degree murder. In the end, he ended up not testifying because there was a risk to his safety. Wow. And he went off on manslaughter and that's when we really started to see him spiral. He really started to, yeah, he really started to get into trouble. He started using drugs, um, serious drugs, uh, then he became addicted to Oxy, uh, and then he met a girl who had a serious Oxy addiction, and oh my god, it was just, it was uh, out of control, yes. so we just saw him really, really struggle for a while, and uh, at one point, he went on the methadone program, and his girlfriend was doing Suboxone, and it was just a nightmare, because they don't, first of all, they don't regulate the dosage very well, and so he wasn't... He wasn't getting the dose that he needed or he was getting too much. And so, you know, he was working on a film set at that time, but he'd be in the bathroom throwing up or falling asleep, depending on whether he'd been able to get the methadone. Because the methadone, you had to go every two days to get a prescription to go to the, to the drugstore to get it. And sometimes they would close early, so he wouldn't be able to get it. And then he'd be in withdrawal for a couple of days. So it was really awful. So he picked himself up and decided to go to Toronto, and he went there for two months staying with a friend and managed to get himself off of it that way. And so we thought, that's it. It's good. He's, he's cured himself and he's back to his old self, and he came back to Vancouver. Um, at that point, he had his daughter, and uh, he was very involved with her, Just, you know, jumped in with both, both feet. How old, um, how old was his daughter? She just turned eight on uh, this last Monday. She was born in 2013, so she was 21 when she was born. Right, right. Yeah, and um, yeah, so, you know, he was he was doing well. He was getting on with his life. Um, he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do. He was talking about designing a clothing line and he was talking about becoming a tattoo artist. And he met a girl, uh, his girlfriend that he had when he passed away and moved in with her. And then the pandemic hit, and so at that time he was working doing drywall and framing and stuff like that. And uh, work started to dry up, and he was stuck in an apartment with his girlfriend. The relationship started to be challenging, and we knew he was doing things like cocaine, and that was creating a lot of trauma in the relationship because 
she didn't have a lot of experience with addiction and wasn't very happy with the fact that he was doing this. And so right. that just sort of made the situation worse. He started having anxiety attacks and became depressed. And, and yeah, things just sort of snowballed from there. And over the last uh, couple of months, particularly around Christmas, we saw a huge change. And he dropped about 20 pounds and he would just disappear for hours and he knew where he was. And yeah, that's uh, when we were really, really concerned. And I found um, a rehab facility on Bowen Island because I couldn't find any any resources here. I mean, even just to get a counselor in Vancouver during the, the pandemic, you can't see anybody face to face. So at the end of the day, he agreed to go to counseling. He actually asked me to find him a counselor, so I found him a counselor. He was not, not open to the rehab at the time. And uh, yeah, so he he had an appointment with a counselor on the Wednesday before he died, and he missed the, the appointment and rescheduled it, asked me to remind him the day before, and then he died on the Monday night. So we never actually made it to the counselor. Wow. Yeah. As a parent, what would you like to see change? Now I'm gonna we're gonna back all the way up, and uh, when football ended for him, there were some other challenges that he had had. But from a school, from a coach, from a group of teachers, what would you like to see in place at uh, some of the, the schools in our province to, to maybe prevent or to support some of the kids that have got these challenges? Well, I think the first, the first thing that needs to happen is, is we need to educate kids about drug use, about the risk of the street drugs right now, given that 50% of the street drugs, including cocaine and sometimes even marijuana, have fentanyl or carfentanil in them and people don't know that. So I think that that education has to get out there really fast because, you know, there's there's this perception that when you hear the stats on the news that, you know, over 2,000 people have died of fentanyl overdoses that you're thinking that it's marginalized populations on the downtown side. And what, what I've come to learn, and I've only learned this because of what's happened with my son, is the number of kids that are addicted and dying that are kids like Alex. And as I mentioned to you when we spoke earlier, there are so many of his friends, including kids he played football with, including kids who went to St. Thomas More, that are struggling with addiction and are really in, really in trouble. And so I think you have to educate them about addiction, what that looks like. I mean, I thought, okay, Alex kicked Oxy that first time, so he's fine, but didn't really understand addiction and knowing that, that it was always going to be a risk for him and they need ongoing support and counseling for it. Um, the physiological side of it as well and how hard it is to actually stop and everybody thinks you can just quit you can just stop it's just make the decision and do it it doesn't work that way and i wish that i had known more about this i wish alex had known more about this before because you know if they know what the risks are then they're less likely to be hey there's some cocaine at a party i'm going to try it right right so i think that's a big a big part of it there's also um i did want to also mention i don't know if you've heard about this lifeguard app that's out there no saving lives all over the place and it's it's that's you know that all these things should be presented to kids and their parents yes you guys are in a, a unique situation where you can actually you know have these conversations with kids and set some programs up in school that are mandatory programs that kids have to learn about drugs and addiction and what that looks like and not not just on the downtown east side but throughout our communities no that's that is actually great advice we have we'll we'll talk about substance use but we don't have any hard, fast programs. And I think 
the mistake that the educational system has is they may cover it in grade 10 and then maybe a little bit in grade 12. Every, each year we have to take a course and designate this amount of information to each grade level and keep going through it throughout the grades as opposed to saying, okay, well, guess what? You're in grade 11. You don't need it this year. You know, we talked about it last year. We need to, to do that. What, what about parents? What should we, what should a parent start looking for? If they've got some concerns, what, what advice would you give to them? Uh, well, you know, obviously when you start to see physical changes, like as I, as I said, Alex dropped about 25 pounds in the last month of his, of his life, month or two months of his life. Um, but I think, you, I think parents just have to assume that kids are exposed to this all the time, all around them. And just, you know, you can make the assumption your kid isn't doing it, but by making that assumption that they're not around it, that's really dangerous. And I think you have to assume that they are around it and they have to be educated and you have to talk to the kids, to your kids all the way along. And like you were saying, in school, not just in school, but at home. And parents need to be educated about this as well. And yes. You know that it's not just, you know, it's just it's just not bad people that this is happening to, not that, not that people that use are bad, but that's the stigma that's attached to it, that it's just the junkies and the homeless and all those awful words that we use when we're talking about people that have a substance abuse problem, right? You're right. Um, yeah. Another thing, actually, that, um, that you might want to think about educating kids in this world, I didn't know this before, but I, I realized this in the last probably six months, is that um, you can get free naloxone kits at any BC pharmacy. And when I found that out, I went and got about tell them all and tell these different drug stores and it's all, all anonymous and I know name spaces. And I gave a couple of them to Alex. Um, and I understand from his girlfriend that he actually used naloxone on himself a week before he died. Oh, wow. And didn't know how to use it. So I had to get his girlfriend to help him figure out how to use it. So that should be something that, that everybody, everybody knows how to use as well. Yeah, that's... Yeah. You know, it's something that people don't want to talk about, but it's something we need to. It's, it's, we can't do the ostrich thing where you put your head in the sand and you go, guess what? It's, it's not happening. If we don't see it, it's not happening. It is happening. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't, I don't remember seeing as much of, of the human side of this as I am now. I'm starting to see more news articles and interviews coming out, like the one that I did that talks about you know, the, the human side, not just the statistics. And I think slowly this province is getting, getting the, um, you know, figuring it out. I think they're not doing anything quickly enough. I mean, I know we have a new minister of addictions and mental health, but I think people are finally starting to wake up and we're going to hear more and more of these stories and more, more organizations like Mom Stop the Harm coming forward, you know, sharing and sharing and sharing. I, I share on Facebook all the time because I want everybody to be able to see this is, this happened to my son. I'm not ashamed of my son. I'm proud of him for how hard he fought this. But everybody needs to see what's going on. Everybody needs to, to know the truth of what's actually happening. I think the uh, on Moms Stop the Harm on their, uh, on their website, I mentioned in the very first episode when I was talking about substance use, I scrolled down and um, I looked at the, the images. Now, the majority of them are young men. With some some older men as well, but young men and, and a few young women. But there, it the they literally there are sons and our daughters. There are our there are friends and our relatives. And I think that's what people need to need to know. They need to know the stories of these people. 
we need yeah. to, you, you made a really great statement on that, um, on the interview with CTV. You talked about apathy and empathy. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there is so much apathy in this country for this. It's, like you said, people say it's not happening to me. It's only happening to junkies and addicts and, and homeless and losers. I mean, I've had a lot of comments on posts that I've heard of the, the news article that was done about Alex and I've written commentary as well. And people were like, oh, it's just losers and junkies. Oh. And it's, it's just, it's awful. It's just, you know, these are human beings who are suffering through something and they don't want to be addicted to opiates or to cocaine or anything. They don't want this life. And to have a little bit of empathy for what they've gone through in their lives that have led them to this point, I think we all need to take a really good look at that. No, I agree. And I can't, I mean, I shouldn't say I can't. I would imagine there's some people out there that would be that cruel, that would actually say and write those things. It's it's tragic that they would, like someone would actually, you know, uh, write and uh, make that type of a statement, knowing full well that people are suffering as a result of this. But yeah, I, that's that's beyond comprehension. Like that's like that's not that's you know. I'm hoping that's not. Just, you know, even even like um, last you said on your interview with her, we have what eighteen thousand or twenty thousand victims that have died from this. Yeah. Think about their families. Think about their children. Think about all the people that are left behind, and have some empathy for what they're going through as well. So yeah, there are people in this country that are that are that cold-hearted, and I guess they won't actually get it until it happens to them, or it actually hits their lives. You know, and some people that's what it takes. And I hope that doesn't happen, but I think I think it does. Well, for me, when uh, as I said, when his uh, image flashed across the screen, my wife actually said to me, "She says, do you know him?" I said, "That's Alex's story," and I, I can't explain what what at that very moment. I looked and it was like I had, the, like I couldn't breathe. It felt like I'd fallen on my back, right? And I was winded. And uh, I grabbed my jacket. I literally just grabbed my jacket. I didn't say anything else. And I just walked out of the house. And I don't be a hypocrite and say, oh, I've always known about these issues. And I've always, you know, decided that I was going to lead the charge. But in reality, I was always saddened by hearing how many people had died. But I, I wasn't directly involved with it. But it's personal. When I, and he was one of, he was one of my kids, like he, he and I had a connection and that, that's, you know, this isn't supposed to be the cycle of life, right? You and I are not supposed to outlive our students and our children. And, you know, that's the, you know, the podcast and the interview with Leslie. Now you've also, you've joined Moms Stop the Harm, is that correct? Yeah, I joined it. I'm actually now the new treasurer. I'm on the board of directors. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to find my legs. It seems like, you know, two months. It's almost been two months now. And that sounds like a long time. No. But it's not. I'm still I'm still right there, and it's still really, really fresh. So, you know, they, they're happy to have me. I'm a chartered accountant, so they're happy to have me on as the treasurer. But they've been very firm. And you know what? Just take the time that you need. And if you can't make it to a meeting because you're just having a bad day, because trust me, seven years later, we're all still having bad days. That, that I need to take a step back and take time for myself. But uh, I, I'm very determined to yell this from the mountaintops because I just, I can't, the thought of it happening to other families and going through what I'm going through and what his daughters went through and all of our family, especially you know, now during the pandemic that we can't even be together and grieve him. It's just, it's seriously the worst possible. So how do you, 
what coping strategies do you have when you get up in the morning? Do you just keep yourself busy and you, you surround yourself if you're able to because of this pandemic with, you know, family members and people that are, you know, are caring and friends of Alex's? Yeah, I, I try to, I mean, I try to, sometimes it's hard to even just get out of bed in the morning, if I'm being honest with you. And many days I don't get out of bed until noon. I just, you know, just can't do it. But um, Alex's stepdad is been staying here with me most nights because he wants to make sure that I'm not alone. And quite frankly, he, he's absolutely devastated as well. So I think we've, together we've been able to grieve him. I have a few friends that, you know, I know you're not supposed to have anybody around during the pandemic, but I have a few friends that come by and yes. make sure that I'm not alone. And Alex is now, and she's been making food for us and making sure that we're fed because even just eating in the first little while was impossible. Uh, I'm starting starting just now, starting to get back to work within the last two weeks, and I, I might be able to get an hour or two of work done because right. it's just. I, I actually, I often say, I feel like that what people must feel like when they've had a stroke and they're trying to recover from it because it's just the, the trauma to your brain. It's like and my brain's numb. I feel like I'm in a constant fog. So I'm not too far out of it yet. I'm really looking forward to the to the spring and the summer so that I can get outside and be in nature and, you know, the ocean. I don't know if I told you this, but I sold my house right. into the Sunshine Coast. I just, I need to, I need to be away from the city now because everywhere I drive, it's reminders of my son, whether he lived in a lot of building or passing Thomas More, it's just too much. So, and I spent a lot of time with my granddaughter who needs a lot of support right now. Obviously she's just, as I said, she's just eight and uh, it's, it's a huge blow for her. So just being around her and trying to be there for her and her mom. So we're just, you know, gathering together as much as we can. I haven't seen my family because they're on the island and there's some health issues and I just can't put them at risk. Yes. But, uh, yeah, that'll change with we'll the we'll vaccines and everything. I believe that'll change. Well, just, just your ability to join Mom Stop the Harm and uh, start moving forward trying to help other people. Like, I mean, that's commendable. I, I, I can't... I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. I mean, I hadn't seen your son in about 14 years and I just walked outside and sleep one night. I have no idea what this would do, you know, it, how devastating this must be. But for you to be able to talk with us and share your life and Alex's life and be able to talk about what we need to do, I mean, this is huge. And I know, I know what's driving you and the fact that you want to help others. I mean, I, I can't express enough how much I appreciate what you're, uh, what you're able to do for us today. Well, it's, it's, it's something I've now become very passionate about and I will continue to be an advocate for. And uh, I'm actually looking at setting up a charity for children that have been left behind from this, this epidemic, this public health crisis. And there are so many kids that now don't have parents or have lost brothers and sisters. So that I think is something I'm going to throw myself into as well, whether it's, you know, helping them do therapeutic horseback riding or helping grandparents who are now raising their grandkids with counseling. But uh, there's a lot more that needs to be done. And as I get my strength back, I'm just going to throw myself into it. So if we have parents that are listening today or we've got, uh, you know, former students, a variety of people, and they want to get involved and they may not have lost a loved one, but they're, they're moved by what you have to say in, in this event. What, what are some of the things that they can do? Well, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for volunteering on the downtown east side, for example. And I know that's, that's not the only place this is happening, but it certainly will be somebody in education. I sat on the board of Lookout for several years, and uh, that's 
that was my only experience with addiction at that point from that perspective. But it certainly is much needed. Um, I'd say also just sharing, like sharing the stories and getting the word out is really important as well because the more people that know about this and what the risks are, then the less it will happen, I think, I hope. Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's always opportunities out there to volunteer. Right. But mostly, I think, just just like we talked about, having compassion for people that are struggling and, and hearing your stories and not judging, you know, because it could be your brother or sister. Right, right. Well, Mom Stop the Harm, I mean, that organization, they're, they're advocating. And I, when I talk to Leslie, I know that that'll make a difference. I mean, I joined, and that's simply because of my relationship with your son and what I saw. And it's something that I can do. At least I'm aware of their meetings. And if they need a voice or they need a platform, I'm more than willing to help out in any manner. So for you to take on that role, that's quite a large role as a treasurer. Um, good for you for being able to do that. It's still, it's still a growing organization. And I, you know, I was given the financials the other day. And I was like, okay, well, how am I going to get the more money? So yes. I'm probably going to be having you know, fundraising and um, I've got to look at applying for some grants. But uh, you're doing great things. I can't tell you the support that I have received. There's a private, I don't know if you're on the private Facebook site, but there's a public one and a private one. And on the, on the private one, every week there's a new, <clears throat> pardon me, a new post new people that are added and then there's this outpouring of support for these people you know uh, you know I would say giving my condolences and I'm Alex's mom and Burnaby and then you'll have another hundred people giving comments and love and sharing and daily there are stories that are shared as well and there's another outpouring of, of love and support for these people so it's really a it's a, an amazing organization from the perspective of advocacy but also just for support and it's helped me a lot. I mean, I have to turn my Facebook off sometimes because I've been triggered over and over again when yes. I see everybody's story. And there's some really sad stories that are on there. I mean, there's this one post that came the other day, and it was a woman that she lost her 19-year-old son in, in uh, November. And so she was sharing, and I made my condolences. She said, Annie, I just saw your post. Alex used to babysit with Patrice. My 19-year-old son passed away. Oh, such a great kid. My and God. He was so kind, and my son was so happy to have a man around, and I'm absolutely heartbroken for your loss. So now we're starting to see people who know each other. Yes. That haven't been in contact, right? So, but it's it's anyway, it's a, it's a really good support, and I'm glad I found it. And I found it accidentally. I wish I'd known about it beforehand because there's also resources. Of, there's people on there that are asking, well, my son's relapsing and he's a youth, what do I do? And then there's a whole bunch of people that come on with different ideas about, because it's so hard to find the resources. I really struggled with that when Alex first first had his oxy addiction. I, I was trying to find resources and it's like you would, you would go on a website and you call them and they'd refer you to somewhere else and they wouldn't answer, you wouldn't get a call back. And it was, it was absolutely impossible to find any sort of centralized support for what he was dealing with, especially for use, for use, it's, it's really, really hard. Is this, so this is, um, this is part of Mom Stop the Harm, what you're talking about right now? Yes. Yeah. So they, they have resources as well. So if you, if you have somebody who is, it's not just for people who've lost people to addiction. It's also for people who right. have people who are struggling with addiction. And so they can help with resources or to try to find, and not resources that they offer, but they, that they can refer you to someone or, or give you ideas of what to do. Okay. That is a so that's a great resource for some of the parents and um, yeah. for for some of the people that may be struggling as well. So that's a you know that would really help them as well. 
That's great. Well, Annie, listen, once again, thank you so much for taking the time and being able to talk about this. I mean, this is only a couple of months ago. So to be able to find the courage and the strength, I, I, it's not, I don't find it surprising, to be honest with you, knowing you years back and how you always advocated for your son and, uh, and you're still advocating for him. And I know how much you, how much you loved your son because, you know, let's face it, when you're playing junior football and it's not the senior team, uh, you're not getting a ton of parents coming out. And rain or shine, uh, whatever, whatever the weather threw out, you were there every, uh, every game. And it, every game. That's right. And I look over and uh, if you weren't there, I'm like, what the heck? You'd just be standing in a different place. So <laughs> it was always... I never missed a game. No, you didn't. I remember I couldn't I couldn't find you once, so I said to Alex, I said, "Where's your mom?" He goes, "She'll be here," and I said, "I don't see her because I used to count how many parents would show up sometimes." And he goes, "Mr. R, trust me, she will be here." And I guess you were late or something. He starts laughing and he goes, "Told you," and it was at the end of the game. So myself and you'll remember Steve Hart. Steve Hart passed away, and uh, great man, just a great man. And he said to me, he goes, "That woman." will never miss her son's game he goes you can bet on that one so i love watching him play i love it actually i was the manager for the coquitlam football team in the year that they won provincials with uh with kevin chin so it was just i just love to watch him play he was just such a force and he was so good and i was so proud and it gave him so much self-esteem to to do that and to be good at something to be really good at something and he was and he was so humble too but yeah and he was and ultimately you know what through all of his challenges and everything, you know what? He was, deep down, he was a good kid. He was a good kid. Listen, thank you again. Please take care and be well. Yes. And uh, we will talk again for sure. Yeah, and thank you for doing this and for helping get the awareness out there. It's a really important thing you're doing. All right. Thank you so much, Annie. Well, that'll conclude today's episode. And once again, I'd like to thank Annie Story for having the strength and the courage to talk about her son Alex and his strengths, dreams, character, and ultimately his challenges. I'm going to be honest with you. These last two episodes, they were very difficult for me. But once I found out that Alex had died as a result of substance use, I needed to do something. And hopefully, Nathan and I, we've shed some much-needed light on a crisis that's not just impacting our province, but also our nation. If we as a society start to advocate for better drug education in our schools and in our communities, more resources and facilities to support individuals and families in need, as well as revisiting the laws we have in place, honestly, that could make all the difference between life and death. This is Dave Rizicki with Nathan Rivers. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please take care, be well, and as always, peace. I have been searching all of my days, all of my days. Many a road, you know, I've been walking on. As the days keep turning into night